0: Hi, HR nerds! This is Nicole Desain. Welcome to Talent Tales, the show where I interview leaders who have brought design thinking to their talent and HR practices. In today's episode, we have a special guest on the show. I'm joined by Tyler Carroll, who is the Executive Director, Organizational Climate at University of Chicago Medicine. Welcome, Tyler. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, always great to chat with you. Um, so Tyler, let's start with your story. What's your story? Sure, sure.
1: So um, being the executive director of organizational climate at a hospital is not necessarily every little girl's dream. Um, <laughs> it's not one of those things that you learned in school that might be um, what you go for. I never had one of those things. Um, and so when I, uh, when I had to make a decision on a, a college, I, I, uh, I had guidance from a, a counselor in high school that suggested that this organizational development program at Vanderbilt might be a great fit. And it sounded great to me because I didn't know what in the world I would do with an organizational development degree, but it had to do with people and that mm-hmm. sounded good to me. Um, fast forward, uh, when I graduated, I didn't know what I wanted to do still. Um, so I went into consulting, like anyone that doesn't know what they want to do. <laughs> um, but I specifically worked in revenue care, revenue cycle for, um, healthcare organizations uh, with a company that's now part of, of Huron. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was leading change management. I was leading change projects. And when the travel got to be too much, I ended up going to work for us cellular and, and, um, uh, Wound up working as a a change management lead. So that was the first time I got to actually say I I work in change management Um, and worked there for a couple of years before going back to get a a master's in change. I went to Northwestern and finished my MSLOC. Mm, Joined um, joined Kraft Foods while I was there. Um, And with each of these steps, kind of realized I, I really like this people thing. And it was really interesting being in the people business in finance with a hospital. And then when I worked at US Cellular, I was embedded in operations. And when I went to craft, I was embedded in IT. So I got to see how people experience work in each of these different functions or areas in some some unique ways. Um, eventually, uh, no offense to anyone who works in CPG, it wasn't as exciting to me anymore. It didn't feel as purposeful to um, uh, strive to improve the margin on cookies. Uh, and so I had the opportunity to get back into healthcare, which felt really good. It was just too much travel in the beginning. And long story short, here I am six years later, having worked at University of Chicago, which has had a profound impact on my life in many ways. And is that much more motivating to me to think about how can we make this a better place for people to come to work? Because they're doing really important stuff Mm-hmm. it's important that we we make this great for them too not just for our patients
0: it's kind of interesting when you ponder your own story and and there is a threat right i mm-hmm. think there's you have like the change threat and there's some of this healthcare
1: threat sort of as yes. well and the mission um and all things that i've just kind of fallen into kicking off with a guy I, I know maybe this would be a good idea so uh-huh thanks uh-huh. simmons yeah
0: yeah i know that's that's Sort of really interesting, sort of thread that, that we've it together. Speaking mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. Um, what's your creative superpower? I know you have a little visual to illustrate sure, sure. that. Um,
1: so, if I could pick a superpower, maybe a little less creative. Kind of see on the camera or for anyone who's listening, it is, um, it looks sort of like the awake emoji, like the, the shocked face, um, with a bunch of cups of coffee and both the sun and a moon, because if I had any superpower right now, it would be to, to stay awake 24 hours a day. And then maybe I could do all that I needed to do in a day. I, um, you know, work is, is very intense at the moment, especially given the current, uh, the current climate. Um, I'm married, I have two very little kids, and so there's never enough time.
0: (laughs) I think a lot of people can resonate with that, especially working parents right now. So I think (laughs) everybody wishes to have that superpower right now. (laughs) Yeah, That's awesome. Um, So let's dive in. Um, So tell us a little bit how you discovered design thinking or human-centered design. Yeah,
1: yeah. so it, it, was, it, it was an interesting journey, I guess. So when I, I came to work at University of Chicago Medicine, like maybe the case with many nonprofits, um, you realize, oh, I really work for a nonprofit instead of a for-profit organization. Um, mm-hmm. Because it becomes very clear that uh, in healthcare in particular, you know, um, my colleagues in HR, and this was my first stint embedded in HR, were very functionally driven. I, I know benefits I know compensation and that's how we talked to employees
2: hmm.
1: um, uh, this is what you need to know about what uh, about getting paid this is what you need to know about enrolling in your benefits or this is what you need to know about what training is available and it was very separate and to some degree it still is having worked in change or having a background in change and understanding a little bit more about how people interpret and, and view the the stuff, all of the, the words and the messaging coming at them, I realized this isn't very effective and it's hard for people to navigate. And so that user experience lens really started to come into play working in this HR team and realizing we're the people who are supposed to be really supporting people and they don't understand what we're saying. So they don't think very much of us sometimes, maybe even though we're doing really great work and we've got really great programs, uh, we're not going about it in a collaborative way that someone understands based on how they think about what they're experiencing, what we're doing as an organization to support them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: so what's really your, your interest in, in design thinking or human-centered de- design was born from this realization mm-hmm. that we really need to communicate more user-centric or in our case, more employee-centric. Yeah. Sounds like
1: it. Well, and the face of it is communication, but from an mm-hmm. HR perspective, what that means is that we need to work together more, and we need to work together differently. Mm-hmm. So our, our working together can't exclusively be sharing updates, and here's what's happening in my area, but here's, here's um, a problem that we see in the organization, that, uh, a trend that we see in employee behavior, how do we go about addressing that? in a way that may not sit exclusively or exactly within one of these areas of functional expertise. Uh The problem that we have with leave management, mm, that probably requires that we um, better understand a bunch of other practices and policies. So how do we we engage people differently? How do we let them know what their rights are, what's available, and how do we um, help them be well and understand their benefits so that they're ready to come back once they're healthy? Mm -hmm.
0: So that's a great segue, because I know you've done quite a bit of work around employee experience. Can Mm -hmm. you share a little bit sort of your your insights from that work pre-COVID? And then we're going to pivot post-COVID, because I'm kind of interested in comparing and contrasting that, uh, especially in in a company that supports frontline healthcare workers. workers. So that would be very interesting, I think, for people.
1: Sure, sure. So um, a couple of years ago now, I'm sad to say, because it's taken a long time to get to this point and we still have such a long way to go, but um, uh, we were thinking about communication as sort of the cover, the the lens um, that became the conduit for thinking differently about user experience and and human-centered design. Um, we were getting ready to prepare to move a lot of our intranet content to SharePoint. And as we were thinking about how do we organize it, we realized this is, this is a mess. Um, and how can we start to evolve the way we're thinking about organizing the way we talk to and share information with employees around a life cycle? And we recognized that, you know, when we look at employee lifecycle models that consulting firms use, or if you search, do a Google image search, Everything is linear. I don't care if it's shown in a pie chart or something that people go around. Um, it, it's, it's all linear. You go from one phase to the next and that's not how people experience things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we started to engage um, engage others in, in our, our cross-functional or cross-departmental um, HR team to try to better map out what are the different sort of categories of experiences that employees may have that they may come back to or hit on at different points in their career. Like develop isn't the only thing that's in the middle between hire and release or or retire. Mm -hmm. Um, Develop may look a lot of ways to different people. And by the way, they're not just developing person or professionally, but also in their personal lives. Um, And so we we set out on this um, path to try and better understand what is the employee experience? How does that relate back to what we do in HR and how can we better um, uh, define the ways that we may need to come together to govern ourselves, to communicate with employees. And we um, uh, piloted the use of um, of human-centered design to pinpoint what are some challenges that we may be facing, for example, in um, the life cycle category of feel valued.
2: Uh Uh,
1: We also looked at be well was one. Um, So uh, we landed on on, uh, a couple different examples of very specific things that we knew we could improve, not just from a process standpoint in HR, but make it a better experience for employees. And these were, you know, commonly experienced um, pieces of of their world at University of Chicago, one having to do with, again, leave, uh, leave administration, which is, pretty prevalent in healthcare in particular. And then also um, another example was looking at compensation and how do we talk about compensation? People don't understand how they get paid. Well, that's mm-hmm. challenging and could erode trust in the organization. So um, we looked at these very specific examples, came up with some draft prototypes and we're preparing pre-COVID um, uh, to move forward with expanding that out to each of these like, uh, groups of experiences, categories of experiences that I mentioned to prepare then for, you know, fast forward, an an intranet relaunch that we were were going to, um, uh, and I think now are still planning to, uh, talk differently about HR services and what's available through the lens of this life cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, And COVID kind of put a halt on some of the work that we were doing is to be expected because Mm -hmm. all of a sudden everybody, um, uh, everybody needed to, focus almost exclusively on that response Mm -hmm. and how are we preparing? And that became a very scary period. I'm sure like it it has for many, many organizations. Um, When we started to realize that the the sprint that we thought we were going on, I don't know about you, but I remember I came home to say, now I'm working from home because we didn't do that before. Mm -hmm. And my husband had stopped, stocked up our freezer for two weeks. (laughs) <laughs> we were, we were ready to go back in two weeks with one, one fell swoop, big grocery run, um, unmasked. Uh, and that's not really how it's turned out. It, it started to become a marathon. And at that point, um, uh, in HR, we had fortunately had this background now of working together differently or looking cross-functionally how we might try to solve problems. We decided to create um, for task force teams. Oh. Really. So mm-hmm. it was, it was basically an immediate stand up of, um, a user experience lens, trying to assess what are we going to do in HR to support people, um, or to re- either anticipate their needs or to respond. So our task forces were, um, uh, one group focused on engagement. How in the world are we going to continue to engage employees through this experience? One focused on communications. How are we talking to people about this? Because this could get very technical and very confusing. Um, uh, and what are we doing to support them in HR? Uh, we put together a team that was um, uh, focused on, on scenario planning. Where do we think this could go? So there were other countries in the world, um, Italy and China and um, Spain, where it had already gotten bad. What are mm-hmm. they doing? What problems are they running into? How might we anticipate that that's coming? And going to happen here. Um, And then we had a contingency planning group. So stuff that came up that didn't have a natural landing place, this group was gonna go after and tackle. Um, One example that they went after was, um, we've got people who are getting sick. What are Uh we gonna do to acknowledge that for them besides make sure that they're paid appropriately while they're out and provide that kind of support. Uh And we had a workforce planning group because you can imagine in healthcare, we never shut down. So there wasn't the option not to have workforce available. support so um, we stood up these teams and they stayed in place from the beginning of April um, late March until uh, around July basically and were um, really sort of invaluable in helping to come up with the ideas that if we had stayed very functionally siloed and aligned underneath our CHRO I don't know that people would have come together as well or as much with these cross-departmental ideas, um, partially because we weren't physically near each other. Uh And it was a time when people wanted to do more, but they didn't know what to do. Um, So you could have just sat home (laughs) hearing Uh your email waiting for the next thing, or we could be working together to figure out what's coming next and how do we proactively respond.
0: And I think that really probably resonates with so many, you know, Mm -hmm. it's an interesting journey, right? Initially Mm -hmm. you had this strategy or this plan, like so many organizations for, you know, the business, for HR, for employee experience, and then Mm -hmm. COVID hits and then everything halts. But then the way you react, it was in a very auto design thinking kind of way, very agile, Mm -hmm. creating these immediate task forces dealing with things at hand.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: and now looking forward and we had a little Mm pre-conversation um looking forward we talked about and you mentioned the the concept of it it's not a sprint we understand now it's a marathon Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so there is no light at the end of the tunnel is right as far as we know the cold season is going to come up in in the northern hemisphere as we talked Mm -hmm. about and the holiday season Mm -hmm. and so uh, you know the whole employee experience is changing as well as our responses from HR so tell us a little bit more about you know how you how would you frame you know the challenge moving forward not necessarily having solutions I understand I don't think anybody has that yet but I think just putting it out there and for everybody else to reflect on I think is really important.
1: Yeah so um, fortunately or unfortunately depending on how you look at it from where I sit now I have our change and employee engagement team that sits under me, and I also have employee and labor relations. And so we're starting to see, I think, especially through um, the mechanisms we have for reporting in labor relations and employee relations, symptoms of what is coming with um, the just exhaustion that people have. They may be physically exhausted, um, but I think really the emotional toll that this prolonged response. So we've I think begun the transition from marathon to ultra marathon here, <laughs> uh, not knowing when a vaccine mm-hmm. might be available and and how it would be prioritized and from a healthcare standpoint, that's all just mm-hmm. fascinating working for a hospital mm-hmm. but um it means that we can't let our guard down because if we do as an institution, as a community, as a nation, we could end up back where we were in March, and that becomes scary. For so many different reasons, uh-huh. but from a, an employee standpoint, a, you know a user experience standpoint, everyone is just sort of longing for the way that things used to be, and they were. So um, uh, wanting to spend time together with coworkers, celebrating life events, shared life events, or being able to go to work and not literally have to wear a mask for up to 12 hours during the day, um, and having some reprieve. And we're starting to see instances where people have let their guard down Mm -hmm. and now we're at a point at least as a healthcare institution where we look at this and say how can we handle this to continue to drive behavior change in the direction that we need and want to see it go where people continue to adapt to these new norms we can't take for granted that just because we've been in it for a while people are really used to masking and social distancing and staying healthy or recognizing symptoms in themselves.
2: Mm
1: but if we, if we go the punitive route, you knew all these things, we've been talking about it for months and now you didn't follow the rules or you broke the rule and you let your guard down or you, you um, didn't behave accordingly. Um, is there an excuse for that? And how do we balance the need to continue to maintain stability and an environment of safety for all of our employees and our patients, but also empathy for the fact that this is really hard. And people are going to be missing out on things that have tradition and emotion involved in them, involved in them, like the holidays.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and how do we help guide employee behavior in a way that they see themselves as part of the solution, understand what's expected of them, and are willing to participate?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think you really hit it on the head with this tension between safety and I think even companies mm-hmm. are not in healthcare right there especially if they go back to the office and things like that mm-hmm. um, and then the empathy part with the employees understanding why this is happening right now and how do we Come up with solutions that are, you know, sensible in this yeah. environment. So I think this is a tension that a lot of companies are facing. So yeah. we don't have the answers yet, but yeah. I think putting it out there and for us to start think about this is the season and this is where we are at, and really being honest, right, and realistic yeah. about where we're at instead of wishful thinking, I think can help us yeah. solve for it. Um, Okay, so I have some more questions, but if you guys on the call have questions, please put them in the chat and we'll get to them at the end. So I wanna dive a little bit more again, backtracking to mm-hmm. human centered design.
2: Yeah.
0: So when you uh, when you think back about when you brought human centered design or this user experience lens as you put it into the organization, what, what were some barriers that you encountered?
1: Um, so, I mean, the, the first one is is always, well, we've always done it this way. Is it really broken? right? Um, So uh, a resistance um, to thinking differently. And much of the resistance, I think, really came from defensiveness, right? Because as I mentioned, we do a lot for our employees. I think we do a lot of great things for our employees. We have fantastic wellness and benefits programs and a rich compensation package. But if people don't understand it or don't know how to access it or don't know what that means to them and we're not telling them about that in a way that they, they understand and can relate to or appreciate, it's not as effective as it could be. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing that there's opportunity to improve in ways that maybe we hadn't thought about before or the other big challenge that we've had is, is thinking about trying to work on some of these things in a more cross-functional way because there's been a sort of a threat to ownership in some cases. So, oh, well, I don't, I don't need your input Tyler, on this thing that I'm working on in my space because I own that. So thanks, <laughs> but I'm going to keep running with it. And that was great from an internal subject matter expertise standpoint, you know, the, the most educated person making the decisions. But from a user experience and an empathy standpoint, we really weren't going to move the needle on creating better relationships with our employees, achieving better commitment for our employees um, and, uh, and working together better as a more cohesive team. And so uh, the biggest barriers were really resistance to, again, thinking about something new and also working together in a different way that may sort of threaten my authority and decision-making, because I know more about this than others.
0: So it sounds like main resistance from HR? Yes. When you oh, yeah yeah um and and so how did what were some of the tactics you used to overcome those barriers
1: um well one thing we were fortunate our our CHRO got behind this very quickly and so we um we were able to to get him on board and thinking about and trying to to demonstrate some of the examples of where we were falling short um or where a uh, shift Um, could have added value and articulate what that value could be, mostly coming from my team from an employee engagement standpoint
2: Uh
1: Um, and thinking differently about and knowing the downstream impact of employee engagement. If we can make some of these adjustments, we might be more successful at an enterprise level Um, and in making the function look good. And anytime you can tell your boss that you can help to make their function look better um, for the rest of the organization, it hopefully goes well um, with the pilots we were then so we started to pilot the use of human-centered design to again try to pinpoint a couple very specific opportunities to capture better voice of the customer and to demonstrate value again um, that the ideas that came out of this group of all non-leaders and that was another component of our of our sort of governance or teamwork design was that you know, we weren't going to get anywhere with making some of these changes if everything was left up to the HR leadership team, the executive directors in the group. The problems that we're facing are the things that people who are closest to our employees are seeing every day, and they can best articulate them. Uh Um, And so we've had a little bit of a, a rub, too, with the tactical versus strategic, and where are we going with the function versus, well, you know, this problem that's popping up from employees today and where those things meet in the middle. But I think through our pilots, we were able to demonstrate that we can work together on these cross-functional solutions. And there was a lot of joint learning that came from these little cross-departmental teams about, oh, well, I didn't know that when my part was done, your part picked up in the process. So um, we really got to better understand, I think, a lot more why things were challenging or confusing for a user when we did our voice of the customer work, because we didn't even really know some of our own processes in HR. So um, some of those realizations, I think, helped us to get over humps that we were facing. And now um, here we are getting ready to um, uh, launch a new intranet um, platform internally, because ours is like in the nonprofit world, antiquated and not, not well maintained. And we've had a lot of opportunity and there is an expectation that what we move forward with and the way we present content is in alignment with this employee lifecycle concept that we've developed and come up with that is focused on the user experience. Mm -hmm. And so it's really cool to see how the conversations have evolved from, you know, Uh, uh, Tom or Sue or Jim uh, do you have the stuff that you need to post Do you have those documents those tip sheets or whatever you were going to post on the internet Mm -hmm. and now like oh well how are we going to organize this in a way that people are going to understand it and if we organize it this way what do we still have to create what are the gaps and how are we going to talk about these things oh I think we need a consultant to do that we can't just do that on our own because we haven't been successful with it before so it's, um, it's been a, a cool evolution
0: to see. It's really a, such a cool journey that you, mm-hmm. you know, and I know it seems in a way, you know, you had to halt, but I think mm-hmm. even through this pause or this forced redirection, yeah. I think, you know, you learned something else that mm-hmm. you now can incorporate in the whole process. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite design thinking resource or hack?
1: Um so when I think back on some of the the resources we used in these these workshops with the, the pilots, I think one of the most powerful and simple things, which I had no idea that it could harness this much conversation, but a stakeholder map, mm-hmm. really getting into and diving into um, who is impacted by this thing. Because it was so eye-opening for people in a way that they hadn't really thought about all of the individuals who might be involved um, in one experience that have an influence on or an impact on or who are influenced by or impacted by, and even helping people to think about how we might define segments within those stakeholder groups. Uh We often sort of, uh, you know, oversimplify and generalize to say, oh, well, this is for employees or this is for leaders. And that's why the stuff that we're developing or putting together doesn't resonate because we haven't really thought about, well, what about this group within leaders or this group within all employees? And so that stakeholder math exercise was incredibly helpful in getting people to think differently about their impact on people that is varied and has nuance. Mm-hmm. So before they thought about it as just this thing, mm-hmm. you know, one big thing. So
0: everybody, you know, it's the employees or so it's the leaders. Yeah. Yeah. So I always close with a surprise quote that I give you to react to. Are you ready? Yep. All right. So quote, how were you kind? How were you brave? How did you fail? Unquote. A mother's daily questions of her daughter.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh. So, I mean, those are some very important questions to ask yourself. And I think especially right now in this sort of COVID world that we're dealing with, whether you're a daughter or a son, or just a human, reminding yourself to, to think about these things every day, because there's, there is just so much going on and people are so taxed knowing that about you and being grounded in your own experience or asking yourself those questions. If I were to do that more, I might think more about um, how other people would respond and how much more powerful could that be if I um, could think more about others and, and um, how they're feeling and thinking. It could inform my work in much different ways. hmm
0: Yeah. Those are some really powerful words to close uh, us out, Tyler. And thank you so much for joining us today. Such a great story that you shared with us so graciously. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And thanks, everybody. See you at a future tell and Bye.